Well, welcome everybody. This is the Contemplating Christian. And today we're talking about something that uh, will probably be slightly controversial. It's an yeah. article that um, was very, uh, well, it's a really good article. And there's a lot of stuff in it. It's, it's long. Um, but it's getting at this issue of basically male and female relations. Uh, it talks a lot about um, sex, gender, uh, men and women, the differences between them. And of course, any sort of any sort of thing you talk about in that realm is just going to be super controversial today, given that our culture is is very much against um, traditional Christian ethics and things like that. And so, yeah. forewarning, we're two fairly conservative Christian dudes talking about this, and so it's gonna you know we're coming from that sort of perspective. And so, just be aware of that we don't mean undue offense, but mm. if there's any offense in commonsensical truth then we do mean offense in that area, I suppose. Yeah. And it's the, uh, it's, it's about the red pill basically. So the, the article will be in the description. Uh, I'll post mm -hmm. that, but, um, it's all, it's all about that, which is one, a great matrix reference. Let's just say that. <laughs> and then, uh, two, it's, it's specifically on the fact of the red pill, which, mm -hmm. which I believe is the one where you find out the truth. Right. And so this basic, this, this online phenomenon over the last few years called the red pill movement. Um, I don't know everything about it, um, but basically it is in a lot of ways, a quasi political, quasi religious, um, somewhat self-help kind of oriented movement, mostly among men, um, mm -hmm. basically men that find out the truth quote unquote about, um, our society, about culture, about men and women, and there are, it, it is basically a quasi-religious, but kind of quasi-secular response to radical egalitarianism and feminism in our day. Mm -hmm. And so uh, a, a lot of what is constituted as the principles of the red pill movement is like common sense, common wisdom that your grandfather would have known yeah. uh, 50 years ago or whatever. Um, but that today are these groundbreaking truths because of the water that we're swimming in and culture today. And so this article kind of goes through that a little bit. Um, basically I would summarize it as folk wisdom for men yeah. at best borrowing from Christian capital. And then at worst, that's the promotion of fornication, bitterness, male feminism, and misogyny at yeah. the worst. And so what you see in kind of the worst of the red pill movement, um, I'm thinking of somebody like, like Andrew Tate or something like that, who's influencing a lot of people today, mm -hmm. you have basically feminism just with men doing it. You have basically people, men complaining uh, and making themselves out to be these basically victims of society. And then in response, doing extremely nasty things to respond. So mm -hmm. uh, in response to, let's say, how culture um, doesn't benefit men in divorce, say, or uh, divorce legislation screws men over. And so the red pill movement in response will basically be super misogynistic or they will, um, complain and whine, um, and say, well, what you should do then in response is, um, take on a bunch, a bunch of sexual partners or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and then just basically forsake marriage. So that's one kind of section of the red pill movement that is obviously not consonant with Christianity at all. Mm -hmm. Um, so why are we talking about it? And that is kind of a bigger point of the value and danger of reading people who don't share your worldview. 
And we would say that there is a great value in reading widely and reading from non-Christian perspectives, reading different worldviews, reading especially how people uh, today think, reading cultural influencers today and having kind of a heartbeat on that because it is important. So there are truths to be gleaned from so-called red pill thinkers today uh, in the same way that there are many dangers. And so in the same way, there's uh, value in reading somebody like Freud or Nietzsche are the examples the author uses in the article. There are great dangers in reading those people. And just as Christians, we need to be wise and discerning as we read people who don't share uh, our starting points, our presuppositions, our perspectives. And that's a good thing overall, I think. Yeah. And so this red pill movement, what, another thing is that it's not just men. There are, are some women that are going in that direction as well. Maybe yeah. not to the extreme of men, but yeah. there is that. And then another thing is that um, if this is a, an extreme response to feminism and men are now playing victims of, of culture, one, one, one extreme is not a proper response to the other extreme. Okay. So mm-hmm. if we're on this highway and feminism is the left ditch, men if they're aiming for the right ditch, they're headed in the right direction, but it overshoots it and you still end up in a ditch. And I, I would kind of say Christianity provides us with that middle ground where we aren't veering off left, but also we aren't going to the extreme of uh, uh, like misogyny and uh, all the all the worst things about uh, male tyranny or, or something like that. Christianity provides the great middle ground uh, mm-hmm. in this. And so, yeah, when we are reading or listening to these red pill speakers, if we want to call them that, or writers, we do have to sort out the trash. There are good things. There are bad things. Um, so that's one thing we will have to discern as Christians, but also another point I just really want to drive home is, uh, will you actually pointing this out, but, uh, it's actually not that wild, of an idea or crazy of, of, of wisdom. It, it just seems crazy and seems profound because we've just gone so far off the rails, right? right? So when Jordan Peterson is saying all this stuff, obviously there are some great ideas there, but those basic principles aren't the great profound thing. Those were actually very common in the past. Mm-hmm. Yes. I got a headphone change here. Um, so Jordan Peterson saying, making your bed um, today, is this radical, groundbreaking, earth-shattering saying of wisdom. And when your mom says it to you when you're a teenager, it doesn't mean anything to you. And so why is that? Uh, Because I would kind of consider Jordan Peterson um, kind of related to the Red Pill movement, maybe not perfectly fitting into it, but definitely related to it. And I would say 100% of the people who are in the Red Pill movement know about Jordan Peterson, and most of them listen to him. And so he's certainly related to it in some degree, you know, we like a lot of what Jordan Peterson says. Um, Mm. So what makes Jordan Peterson saying that so groundbreaking? And I think that the big point is that when Jordan Peterson says it, he is connecting ordinary tasks to grand ones. So he is appealing to something in young men. When he says, clean your room, what he's really saying is take control of your life, get discipline, uh, take dominion over the places that you inhabit, things like that. He is calling men to a very high vision and is calling them to a mission. And men want that. Men desire that. Men naturally uh, take to that. And when, so that is maybe a hint to mothers out there. Yeah. I have zero moms watching, (laughs) but maybe to 
respect your sons in the sense of calling them up to a grand vision. And that might actually help. Yeah. And when it, when it comes to someone like Jordan Peterson saying that he, we, we have to make the point of your mom wants a clean house. Mm -hmm. The son or the, the man or the boy doesn't necessarily care about a clean house, which is why we have to find that new angle right there. And this also brings up the idea that we haven't mentioned yet, which is the church has actually in, in a, in a great sense failed men, mm -hmm. um, and kind of just punished them. Like, it's kind of like the mom saying, clean your room. The son doesn't do it. And then son is punished where as like the church has not been saying this stuff has not been acting like Jordan Peterson, calling men up, finding that mm -hmm. new angle, allowing them to be proper men. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's, why this whole red pill movement has just like shot up in popularity because uh, one, I would say the church should be the one fostering these young men and making this stuff just be a wildfire. Uh, right. But the church isn't right. And we'll hit, we'll hit on this later as well. But in short, when we tell men in the church today to be like Christ, uh, that is hundred percent true. That is what men need to be. That is what Christian men are called to do. We often boil that down to only Christ's sacrificial elements, his, mm. his sacrificial servanthood, and men absolutely need to do that. That's 100% what men need to do and need to be told to do that. But we don't talk about, like, should men be like Christ in his uh, lordship? Mm. Should men be like Christ in that he's a king? Uh, should men be like Christ in that he's a leader? Um, we often put servant leader we often put servant before leader and neglect the leader part mm -hmm. instead of raising leader servants who do both. So yeah. I think in short, um, the evangelical church calls men to be uh, sacrificial, but they don't call them to be king-like in any, in any way. We laugh yeah. at that idea even. And I think that is one way in which we're failing men. Yeah. And so the Proverbs were about like, not the Proverbs from the Bible, but like yeah. the common wisdom, folk wisdom Proverbs we're about to go over do that they they call men up to this new mission hmm. right and um when it when it comes to again the church we we should be calling men to be leader servants all right mm -hmm. um we aren't servant leaders in the sense of yeah my leadership is serving your every single need no i serve you by leading you somewhere that's how it works it's not i lead you by serving whatever you want me to do right yeah right it's it's yeah. And there's a balance. There's at the same time, um, we primarily serve by leading. And at the same time, we also recognize as men that in a humble way, there's no task that, uh, is below us. Like yeah. if something needs to get done, men get it done. So a good man, like, yeah, washes, washes feet. feet and, uh, cleans the toilet and things like that. Those are mm -hmm. absolutely parts of being a good man. It's just not all of it. And so oftentimes because of the waters we swim in, in culture of very, feministic culture. Um, we neglect those other parts of who men ought to be. Mm. So as we get into this, um, we talk about, um, basically secular proverbs. So these are commonsensical truths, basically that the red pill movement is uh, discovering in reality, just saying commonsensical things that are politically incorrect today. Mm. I think that's a way to summarize these things. Um, and we're going to go through some of these, not all of them, but some of these secular proverbs that uh, the article brings up. And some of them are quite funny. <laughs> yeah. Some of them will, will, will get a laugh from uh, many of us. 
Mm -hmm. uh, but the first one comes across. Um, it says that men fight physically, women fight psychologically. So mm -hmm. that could be, again, offensive to some. But if we think about it, uh, think about the movie Mean Girls. So <laughs> I have had the misfortune of seeing the movie Mean Girls, mm -hmm. and it's not good. I don't like it, <laughs> but it's a funny movie in a lot of ways. And it shows sort of this difference in design and how these differences manifest themselves uh, under grace and under sin. And particularly in Mean Girls, it's how these differences manifest under sin. So this is basically just psychological warfare between a bunch of girls that are young and immature. Mm -hmm. There will never be a movie like Mean Girls with boys is the point that the author makes. There's never going to be a movie like that with boys because that's just not how boys fight. Yeah. When boys fight with each other, they just overtly fight each other physically. Uh, when women fight each other, it is often covert and psychological in nature. Mm -hmm. And this is just a commonsensical truth that most people, it rings true for, most people recognize this is true, that there's differences between male and male relationships and how they fight and women relationships and how they fight. Mm -hmm. um, but our culture doesn't like them and these truths. And so uh, the Red Pill movement will make a point like this. And uh, we often don't even like to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. And so for, for, for me, uh, I have seven sisters. So I, I, I watched it when I was, when I was younger, like, uh, high school or something like that. Yeah. But, um, but there is this idea of men fight and work differently. And as we're getting into these, we're just going to have this overall theme of men are different than women, right? Mm -hmm. We have to accept that fact, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's one thing this whole red pill movement is based on that men and women are different, which is, what the culture is pushing against right now. But um, in this type of fighting, like fist fights versus psychological warfare, mm -hmm. men are missional, mm -hmm. right? And so in, in, a, in a men's movie or uh, a movie about men or a story about men, it's a lot of times uh, it, it might have a scene of friends fighting or like literally getting into a fist fight or arguing. But the rest of the movie is them trying to achieve the same goal yeah. right so like just think of war movies brothers in arms they're fighting side by side for the same mission now in those movies you might get a disagreement between two of the soldiers where they're arguing over the best strategy or something like that but then right after that they get back to war mm -hmm. same mission that's how men work right and even off they they often um through testing each other either through like insults or making mm -hmm. fun of each other, or actually physically fighting, they actually earn respect amongst each other. And that's mm -hmm. how men actually grow in their friendships with each other. Yeah. And so there's kind of hardships and unique challenges for like female friendships, and then unique challenges and hardships for male friendships. For females, the author says that often you run the danger of being dominated by emotion. When it, there is more emotional, uh, women are more emotional in general. And when you have two of them, there can be kind of emotion that dominates the whole friendship or the whole relationship. Mm -hmm. um, there's more dramatic ups and downs. Uh, there's more potential for lasting grudges, things like that. And there's more opportunity for like covert sin and psychological sin. And then hardships for men are basically having no friends at all. There's yeah. hardships in the area of how men are different and unique is that they often don't even have any friends mm -hmm. or they will sacrifice friends to their detriment for other things like career or yeah. um, objects. And so there are unique challenges for men and women that the Red Pill movement 
recognizes and says openly, but often, even as a church, we don't even recognize. Yeah. And so the, the relationships between men are completely different than the relationships between women, mm -hmm. right? So that, that's one thing there. But then on top of that, we would say the relationships between men and women are still different, right? So there is actually three types of relationships right there. Men between men, a uh, friendship between women, and then a relationship between a man and a woman, right? And yeah. you can't do the same thing. So men test each other with insults. You aren't going to test a woman with insults. You aren't going to go up to a girl and just be like, uh, and, and just throw an insult their way, right? <laughs> that would like hurt their feelings or they would probably get mad at you or they would just like walk away or something like that. Right. And and then as men, what often happens is that you test each other with insults. And then if you can handle it, you are in. Yeah. So if you're like on a uh, construction site and I've had this happen before where you get made fun of a little bit and it's basically a test to see how you're going to handle this. Are you going to respond like a wimp by bowing out or getting upset or are you going to take it in stride and be okay with it? And mm. then when that happens, when you actually take it in stride, you get welcomed in. I remember Jordan Peterson talking about this. Um, mm his kind of experience growing up like Northern Alberta, Canada, um, on like oil rigs and things like that. Yeah. He had some kind of tough physical labor jobs. It's always like this when a ton of men get in the same environment, that's often how they test each other is mm -hmm. by crudeness, insults, things like that, that aren't yeah. necessarily great, but it's how men interact with each other in this fallen world. Yeah. So yeah, when, yeah. I, I was going to add something to that. So that is how we test each other. But that isn't something we would do with women, mainly because one, it's not attractive. And two, it actually uh, any any type of insult specifically towards yourself actually insults her. like we we might respond to a man's insult with like some self-deprecating humor or something, because that's one way to respond to uh, try and fit in is make crack a joke, crack yeah. a joke. But for for women, uh, they already have doubts about you. They're picky about you. And. Um, you saying an insult about yourself isn't going to make things better. Right. Right. Yeah. So we yeah, definitely in this in society today, there is this tendency for um, men to pursue humility by basically self-deprecating themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Red Pill movement is saying, no, men are or women are not attracted uh, to men who self-deprecate, mm -hmm. who basically insult their intelligence and insult their ability to discern a partner by in insulting themselves. So when you say, I'm such a klutz, or you act like a fool in at various circumstances, what you're basically saying is to a woman, you aren't good at picking a spouse. Mm -hmm. And so the red pill movement makes a big point of saying, um, self-deprecation isn't attractive. It isn't even humble and it's actually insulting to a woman. Mm -hmm. And I think we could, we could learn something from that. Yeah. And also complaining about your wife as a guy is actually an insult to you just mm. to add that onto there. But, um, right. yeah, also, uh, like on that, uh, yeah, a woman doesn't want a guy that self deprecates, right? Mm -hmm. She, she wants someone that will lead mm -hmm. and she does tests. She, like a woman when dating a guy will give them tests. Like, are they, are they up to snuff? Right. Yeah. Are they able to do this? And a lot of men won't stand up to the woman. Uh, a lot of men, like when presented with a test, will actually uh, submit and follow the woman. Uh, and, and what the author actually says here is men tend to, a lot of the times, follow women to hell instead yeah. of lead 
uh, what women want is if they present you with something, they want you to be able to stand up to her and lead her the correct way. That's what they yeah. want. Right. So it gives the example of Genesis 3. That's, of course, Adam and Eve in the fall in the garden. Uh, gives the example of Abraham in Genesis 16 of listening uh, wrongly, uh, listening to bad advice from his wife. And then Proverbs 7 is the foolish man and the adulteress. All of these instances are uh, men who follow a woman and her lead straight to hell. Mm -hmm. When in reality, what they should be doing is taking action. And in those cases, um, uh, saying no to those certain things um, and guiding in a better path. Now, this isn't to say that you never learn uh, you never learn from a woman's wisdom or a woman's guidance. You are a fool if you are a husband and you never listen to the wisdom of your wife. If she is a godly woman, mm -hmm. you should be listening to her wisdom. Uh, you just, the overarching um, direction of things should be led by you and not her. Yeah. And when that doesn't yeah. happen, it leads to hell. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, and that's kind of the first proverb we have. I think that was like one full proverb right there. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the one that kind of talked about insults, the proverb is men are cruel to, to one another, but they don't mean it. Women are nice to one another, but they don't mean it. <laughs> yeah. So, so we actually did two proverbs right there. So we, yeah, um, we did that. And uh, I actually want to go to the third one because it's mm -hmm. actually probably one of my favorites yeah. and one of the biggest things men need to hear today. Yeah. It's um, women just are men must become. Mm -hmm. For women, nature is kind, but time is cruel. For men, nature is cruel, but time is kind. Yeah. I I think that's one of the best ones in this whole this whole article right here, this whole red pill movement. It's women um, by nature they they actually are on a clock, a clock that is completely different than a men's clock. They usually um, at a younger age or even a, a later age they usually marry someone older. Mm -hmm. right? Someone that has established themselves. So they, they tend to speed things up and then men are kind of left wondering or, or today boys are left wondering like, Hey, why, um, why is it different for, for me? Why, like, why do I have to wait longer or work harder or work for a longer amount of time? Right. Um, and it's this idea that, okay, yes, it sucks right now to kind of be a man at first. Um, and th this is just seen in simple things. So just for example, like car insurance, a man's car insurance just by nature of him being a man is like two or three times the amount of like, <laughs> like a woman's right at the beginning. And that's just because they're a man, but as time goes on, it'll get better. And so the fact of the matter is, is men do actually have to establish themselves. They have to work. And to do that, they need time because women are attracted to men who are successful, who have status, who actually have the ability to provide and protect. And yeah. all of that takes time. And so obviously these younger women are going to marry someone who has had more time than them to get these things. Right. 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 So this, yeah, that's, it, it's a really, I think it rings true. This idea that women just are men must become think about, uh, like a manhood ritual. Uh, most societies throughout history have had basic, uh, they've, they've had basic initiations into manhood for the young boys in society. There'd be some sort of rites of passage for men. That isn't really the case with women. And that's getting at what this proverb is saying when it says um, there's no cultural rituals to becoming a woman, basically. It is forced upon you. Your womanhood is forced upon you by nature. Um, think about 
a woman's cycle monthly. Think about their just their physical beauty as central to their womanhood, things like that. Whereas for men, things that are more integral to what manhood is need to be earned, need to be trained, need to be cultivated. And so men must become and must, um, uh, yeah, they must become those things. Whereas women are often, they just are those things uh, by nature. So yeah, it's a wise saying. And the the problem is, is this. Um, that's usually how it worked, right? But we have gotten into this idea or culture with the, all this technology and uh, economy uh, where women are actually able to make money, uh, get a job, get a good job, and be uh, self-sufficient. So we are at this point in culture where um, like, uh, women are in public jobs where it used to just, just be men, where this idea is being pushed that women can actually be self-sufficient. And the problem is, is that if women uh, can get the job and get the money and, and don't need a man, well, man, like a man, one, doesn't need to get married. And then uh, two, if he, if he has that time, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because all that work he's going to do is is pointless because a woman isn't going to want the uh, provision and protection of a man after like him working for 10 years because she can get it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so uh, kind of transitioning a little bit, this article goes into how uh, even like cultural and political shifts we've seen relate to the differences between men and women. So for example, men tend to be more individualistic and women tend to be more collectivistic. Uh, simply meaning um, men are often driven for like individual success and then women are often driven by um, they want everybody to fairly succeed, to put it really, really simply. Um, and so if you just think about like the general, not making a comment about whether this is good or bad or not or whatever, but if you just take a look at sense like uh, the women's suffrage movement, for example, and since kind of mass influx of women into public life and political life, uh, just in general, um, countries and societies have gotten a lot more left-leaning, a lot more liberal, a lot more collectivistic in their understandings of economics, um, all these different things. They relate to gender differences. They relate to the differences between men and women. And so the author of the article makes the point of... Um, basically conservatism or uh, not conservatism, capitalism being a more masculine thing and socialism being a more feminine thing. And this goes down to the differences between men being mission oriented and women being uh, more nurturing oriented and wanting people to succeed, wanting lots of people to benefit. Um, and that actually plays out in our politics and things like that, which mm -hmm. was kind of shocking to read. Yeah. And we have all, all these primary roles or these traditional roles of like men create and produce women recreate and reproduce um, mm. men are providers and protectors women are helpers and nurturers and 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 so on and so forth of all these mm. all these primary roles yeah. and um what 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 happens in the article like after this idea of okay there are these roles um it actually gets into everything that's happening in our culture that's kind of going against all of that right so gun control laws um attract them like a man's ability to protect those are controversial right now those are being edited um <clears throat> sex has been disconnected from children so we have uh stuff like uh, abortion or we have uh, 
great forms of birth control and science has produced many different avenues for, for women. So children are taken away. So uh, a guy can get all of this uh, stuff without actually any of the risk. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're starting to one, take away the roles, allow women to assume them, but also taking away all the risk of the good stuff about a man. Right. Uh, Right. I'm not sorry. Taking away the risk of all, uh, of like living a bad life and not doing the good stuff. So now there's no risk to like seek pleasure, but Mm -hmm. men are supposed to be providing and protecting, but things are going against that. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's in our culture law in our culture's laws and the the values that we hold up now in culture, we have de-incentivized many of the good aspects of masculinity. And so we've instead, um, women have not benefited from this. Mm-hmm. So w- women themselves are not getting men that know how to be men. And at the same time, they themselves are being told that the best thing that they can do is become a man. As a woman, the best thing you can do is become a man. That is often what society presents to women. So the best thing you can do is go to college, amass a huge amount of debt. Um, so you can go work 60 hours as a lawyer a week or something like that. And this can all work out for you, especially when we have, mm-hmm. um, various forms of birth control, basically the, the quote unquote hangups of femininity that nature has put into women, um, that are designed and, and placed there things like rearing, mm-hmm. bearing, rearing children and biological differences. Those things are basically just hangups that need to be overcome. And so yeah. now <laughs> you can disconnect sex from children to such an extent, um, through birth control, through abortion, all of these things take the responsibility out of sex making it basically trivial, mm-hmm. making it just this commodity that means nothing. There's yeah. no responsibility attached to it. This isn't good. Yeah. And this has resulted in a generation that is unable to connect hmm. or bond with the with right. the other sex, right? right. Um, all these things of masculinity and femininity are, are attracted to each other, right? Right. Um, but we've taken away those distinctions. So now masculinity doesn't attract femininity. Uh, I mean, it still does, but we've made it or we've tried to train people to think that it actually doesn't, right? right. That they actually aren't attracted by each other. So we we have all these people as a result that have no idea how to bond or connect with someone of the opposite uh, of the opposite sex. And it, it's also, it has not been helped by the idea that there's the idea of the one in relationships. So if men and women are actually supposed to get married, not only do we not have these good cultural standards that push for that, mm-hmm. but now we have this idea of there's only one person out there for you. So that just reduces the whole pool of of dating right there because every time you date someone, you're going to be like, is he the one? And you're going to have this conception of the one that's this incredible standard that no one can reach. And so you're most likely going to ditch that person if they aren't the one. Right. Right. And so, yeah, a lot of stuff there. And when you're fl- flattening out the differences between the sexes, flattening out the things that actually are complementary and attractive to each other, and you basically create effeminate men and masculine women, then you have mm-hmm. twisted relationships in which neither party is actually attracted to one another. You have impossible bonds to form that don't actually work. And then like where you're getting at this idea of the one. And oftentimes I think uh, many people in the church too have uh, taken in this kind of aspect of culture, this romanticization 
of a relationship where they think that there's only one person out there for them. And he gives the great Puritan quote of choose your love and love your choice as yeah. sort of a remedy to this idea of the one. So choose your love, love your choice. This is basically this idea of um, you are better off becoming the one, quote unquote, rather than searching for the one. Yeah. So you need to become the one. You need to become uh, the greatest version of yourself, the godliest version of yourself as a man or a woman, what scripture teaches you're supposed to be like, uh, whatever that is. You need to become that, not so much searching for one particular person. And then when you become that, there are many people that would likely be suitable partners for you in marriage. Yeah. And I love this idea of choose your love and love your choice, mm -hmm. right? Because it also gets that back to that idea of complaining about your spouse. If you choose a spouse and then you start complaining about your spouse, you're yeah. insulting yourself. But right. if you choose your spouse, because you're eventually going to choose someone, right? Love your spouse because that compliments you. That doesn't insult you. That doesn't ruin your reputation. All you're saying when you complain about your spouse is I made a terrible choice and I hate my life. <laughs> right. right. Um, so. And he also goes into this idea of, uh, we touched on this, but women don't want a yes man. So advice to guys out there, and we're not experts in this at all. Yeah. <laughs> but we're learning, but mm. women don't want a yes man. They want a man to tell them no, when it is something that isn't actually in their best interest. And so, mm. for example, in Genesis three, uh, when Eve offers Adam the fruit, it says here, honey, eat this. Um, he should have killed the serpent. <laughs> he should have killed the serpent, threw away mm. the fruit and said, no, honey, we're not going to do that today. That's a bad idea. But he didn't do that. Uh, instead, yeah. he conceded to that request into the bidding of uh, his wife, and it caused the, the destruction of humanity. And so what can often happen is um, servant servant leaders, and this is not the, the, good, the good version of a servant leader, but sort of a servant leader who simply uh, doesn't lead the wife, but does the bidding of the wife. When that happens, they then measure the health of the marriage or the, 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 the health of the relationship is measured mm. by the success, uh, by, um, the success of the husband is then measured by the emotional state of their wives. Mm -hmm. And so this phrase of happy wife, happy life, that's very common today. This idea of a happy wife and a happy life. So the, the success of the husband and the success of a marriage is measured by the emotional state of the woman. Yeah. And that's not good. Yeah. And that's also not going to be good in like a situation. Let's say the wife's, let's say the wife's parents die or like, uh, has a sibling die. Yeah. Um, well, wife isn't going to be happy. So, uh, therefore you're, you, you suck as a husband or something like that. Uh, no, that's not how it works. Actually in that time, if she, if she isn't happy, you should be leading her correctly. Right. right. And, and that's again, what the, the woman is looking for. Uh, to be led correctly, right. um, which in, yes, does include at some point, uh, you should do things that please your wife, right? And right. we uh, we also have these, uh, all these sayings we have today for like egalitarian relationships and like progressive relationships, like um, tie-breaking authority, or we, we both wear the pants or... Yeah. Um, something like that. Well, in all those situations, it's the woman who wears the pants. <laughs> right. If, yeah. you both, if you both make all the decisions, it means she makes all the decisions mm -hmm. because it's, it's inverting the natural order. It's inverting what is supposed to be there. And so if that's the case, if you both wear the pants, it means she does. Um, mm -hmm. Tie breaking authority for a man is no authority at all, in other words. And so, 
Yeah. And of course, men have the potential to become tyrannical and we need to guard against that as men. We have a potential to become tyrants in relationships, which is why we must also call men to be to to rule as wise and loving kings mm -hmm. and not simply as a joke. When I say kings, I, I don't yeah. mean that as a joke uh, today. We literally you can't mention first Peter three. So that's the phrase of um, talking about men and women. And it refers to Sarah as honorable. It commends Sarah for calling Abraham Lord. And basically her demeanor towards her husband to Abraham was one of reverence, respect, and fear even. A godly, a godly yeah. fear yeah. of I respect this man because he's capable and he's godly. And so mm -hmm. people can't even mention that verse today without laughing in the church. Yeah. You just you just laugh it off because you're like, oh, you're gonna call me Lord, that that sort of a thing. Yeah. Not necessarily, but the the mindset is do you actually respect your husband? Is there actual a reverence there? And so it goes both ways. Men need to be reverential and worthy of reverence. That's what you need to actually call men to mm -hmm. like a medieval king, like be, uh, yeah. be the knight. Yeah. Be respectable. Actually be one that actually commands respect and authority. And the same thing goes for women. They need to actually honor that principle and yeah. they will be blessed by that. <clears throat> yeah. If, uh, if, a man is the king, then we have to think about what that makes the kids and the wife. The wife yeah. then becomes the queen and the kids are princes and princesses, right? Yeah. They um, they don't deserve horrible treatment, which is something that battles against the idea of a man being a tyrant because right. yeah, let's be honest, that happens sometimes. Totally. Um, and so some, some examples of ways that could happen is, as Will said before, ignoring your wife, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't listen to her concerns, you're a fool. Yeah. But also, if you follow everything she says and follow her into hell, you're a fool. Yeah. Right. Um, Absolutely. So there you go. You go. And so, yes, we need to call men to be uh, wise and loving kings that would actually be like Christ in all aspects of who Jesus is. And so practically, this looks like men who confess their sin when they actually have sinned and they fess up to it and they confess. They model repentance to their wife and their children. That's a good thing. Not confessing sin when they haven't sinned, just to appease somebody, but actually um, modeling godly repentance. That's one thing. It means they display outward affection to their wife and kids. They give their wife and kids hugs and kisses, things like that. So it's not like a, a stoicism with no emotion. It's you yeah. lead them in worship songs. You sing. You lead them in that. You teach them the word. Uh, all these things. And a healthy family rejoices under this sort of kingship, this rule, this authority and leadership mm. that men are called to. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, in this, there, there is that sense of pleasing the, the other, right. And, um, I don't know how long we want to, uh, stay on this to, to keep moving, but there is a sense of duty of pleasing the other person. Hmm. Um, whether it be just in, in simple daily tasks and emotionally or, sexually as well, right? There, yeah. There is that. Now, um, people should want to please the other person, right? That's that's the best right there. You should have that desire. But also, there is some sense of duty, mm -hmm. right, in the relationship. Right. And so uh, sex, basically one point of the article is that sex should be mutual in marriage. It should be both mutually desired and mutually satisfying. So it shouldn't just simply be something where... Uh, women do this because men have to, 
and they they need this thing and so women just kind of yeah all right i guess i'll do this thing no it should be mutually enriching it should be mutually edifying for the relationship mm-hmm. not just something that she does for him or that sort of a thing and this echoes paul's teaching in first corinthians 7 uh of talking about what he calls the, the conjugal rights or the um the marital rights that are owed between both parties the men and or the husband and the wife uh, how they owe each other their bodies their their bodies are not their own but mm-hmm. they are each other's and so uh he is a pastor writing this and he says that a, a a pastoral question that he asks in premarital counseling is what do you do what's your what's your battle plan when one of the one one of you wants to have sex and the other one doesn't and how do you how do you treat that situation and it's a very telling thing and uh oftentimes um even in the church people aren't obeying that um the, the wisdom in first corinthians 7 uh where paul says that you are actually sometimes sex becomes a duty in a sense yeah and sometimes feelings follow sometimes the feelings of uh closeness or whatever follow after that is done after that yeah. is uh obeyed mm-hmm. and then oftentimes from that feelings come before and after more so because there's actual obedience there yeah yeah, and we we shouldn't be led by our feelings there, mm-hmm. right? And all all of this idea of like helping each other or pleasing each other or doing that, it, it, it's all pointing towards not egalitarianism but complementarianism. We're complementing yeah. each other in every sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually references the Rocky, like the Rocky movie, and he says yeah. uh, he quotes Rocky's words uh, of like Rocky liking a girl, and he says she got gaps, I got gaps. Together we fill the gaps. I think that's actually. <laughs> a good summary of it and i like yes. it and rocky's awesome um right. and when, when it comes to this uh complimenting each other or pleasing each other um there is the idea of being attracted to each other so he he starts to get into a huge idea of godliness is sexy right mm. um or attractive we could say godliness is attractive and if we're going to say that that right there doesn't actually fulfill everything what we would have to say is godly masculinity and godly femininity are attractive because right. uh, let's be honest like sanctification or doing uh or like being a godly person isn't always the most attractive thing what's attractive right. for a man is when a woman does feminine things and what's attractive for a woman is when a guy does masculine things right so yeah what often so what he's getting at here is what happens sometimes in the evangelical church when we focus on um, presenting the entire picture of what manhood or masculinity is as basically piety or sanctification. So basically like the amount of Bible reading you do, that is the sexiest thing possible. (laughs) Um, And we base and we ignore creation. We ignore uh, the, the, the beginning stages, the building blocks, the creational things that make us different. And the red pill movement only focuses on those things. It has no, you know, it doesn't have really much of a place for piety and Christian devotion and mm. and good practices like that that also make a man good. Um, but it does focus on creation. And it has many commonsensical creational truths about what attracts men and women to each other. Yeah. And the church often ignores those things to its own detriment. Yeah. And and then the Red Pill movement basically takes it and then men go, Well, that's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. And so I'm gonna follow those guys. And the church is basically left in the dust while just saying, well, godliness is sexy. Well, if you define it correctly, yes, it is. But again, yeah, it is godly masculinity that is. Mm-hmm. And so the church should develop that and recover that uh, a, a gendered 
piety, right? Mm-hmm. right. Um, there are certain things that men do that are godly and specific things that they do that are attractive. Same thing with a woman. All right. And you, you said that, well, you mentioned the red pill movement again. We haven't mentioned that for a while, but mm-hmm. um, like getting to the end here, there is this idea of it's been a father figure to a lot of young men. Mm-hmm. The, the article actually says a surrogate father. Yeah. And, right. and having that creation common sense that these young men need to hear because one, they might not have a father, but also they, they might not be hearing it. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. It has become a surrogate father. I think of Jordan Peterson as he has become a surrogate father to many, many, many men and people in this sort of manosphere, similar to the red pill movement, uh, have become surrogate fathers and it is kind of bizarre. And ultimately the church should be actually providing this sort of wisdom. And it's not. And so this idea, um, all this good masculinity stuff that we're talking about um, and that the Red Pill movement recognizes some of, we need to recognize too as Christians that uh, faith in Christ is at the core of true masculinity. So if you only have Red Pill movement wisdom, what you're going to end up with is prideful macho men, probably something that's actually not good. You need uh, faith in Christ. You need Uh, humility and the theological virtues that are brought about only by God's grace. And this is exactly what actually happened, um, like in the medieval period, when the church basically took knights that were fully, um, like they were unable to control their own passions. They were unable to control their violent uh, desires and their sexual desires. And they basically said, the godliest thing you can be is a chivalric man one who uh, has these virtues, but is also able to control himself. And so mm. we need to, I think, return to some of that as well. Yeah. And that's where the, uh, the story of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table came from. If you, mm-hmm. if you read those, uh, well, most of them are poems, but there's obviously modern day or more modern novel versions, but a lot of them were actually like poetry. Um, yeah. But if you read them, it has the sections of how to be a proper man. This is how the church responded to, to knights. They pushed out these stories to teach men and knights how to be uh, chivalric knights. Right. And so you'll you'll get times where the greatest knight is able to like kill a dragon, but also when he's given honors, he just breaks down bawling and then also is gentle towards a lady. Right. Yeah. And so a good quote to kind of summarize uh, from the article directly, kind of summarizing what he's getting at. He says, this is how I see it. The church has focused on making men good. The manosphere has aimed at making men good at being men. But these cannot be separated, so both are failing. The church is producing effeminate men who are not heads but figureheads who end up helping their wives rather than being helped by them. The church has become a beta male factory. Meanwhile, the manosphere is producing pagan men who live for their own glory, often at the expense of women. What we need is an integration of manhood and manly virtue, men who are good men and who are good at being men. Uh, there is a hearty amen <laughs> in a paragraph yes. that I think uh, pastors, people in the church, uh, women, everybody needs to hear that cares about the masculinity crisis that is present today mm. and um, promote this sort of stuff and, and live this out as, as godly men. Yeah. All right. That's uh, I think that's it. That's all I got. I've got so much more, but that, that is, you, it is, you, it's a good place to end, I think. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. came across. <laughs> there. The message is across. But there again, we go. We should, 
we should definitely uh, put the article below and you guys are welcome to watch it. And I think you mean, read it, <laughs> right? Read it, watch this, then go yeah. read that. Uh, say stupid stuff sometimes when you're, when you're talking, it's all good. um, but this has been the contemplating Christian. We hope that you guys, um, have benefited from this. If you need, if you want to support us, we would encourage you to do so. Uh, we've got links in the description below on ways you can do that. And as always, we will see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.